0: Okay. So I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pink, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, nonstick sheet pans. Everything is non toxic to me. That's huge. And okay, we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, Once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need, it's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. We've told you guys about Framebridge before, but they are such a good service, so we're gonna tell you again. Basically, Framebridge makes it super easy and affordable to frame your favorite things. So from art prints, posters, travel photos, especially those that kind of just sit on your phone forever and you never do anything with them, this is where Framebridge comes in. So basically, you go to framebridge.com, you upload your photo, or they can send you packaging that you can safely mail in your physical pieces. And all you do is you preview your item online in any frame style, you choose your favorite, or you can get free recommendations from their talented designers. And basically, they have this team that custom frames your item and delivers the finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. So instead of like going to a framing store and paying hundreds, their prices start at $39, all shipping is free, and our listeners get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use our code CELEBS. It's a really great service. I did it with some travel photos, and I was genuinely so happy to have them framed because they had just been sitting on my phone for forever. So get started today. Frame your photos or send the perfect gift for weddings, birthdays, and special events. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code CELEBS. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code CELEBS. Framebridge.com, promo code CELEBS. Hi, guys. I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind comments by CELEBS. And this is a little bit different than our typical episodes. I'd say. (laughs) So here's the deal. Basically, every week we do a bonus Kardashian show where we recap Sunday Night's Keeping Up. There was no Keeping Up this week, and it just so happened that we had been wanting to do a bonus episode on Aaron Carter and everything going on for a while now. So it lined up perfectly for us to do it this week. Here's the deal for anybody that's unaware, although I feel like if you clicked on this, you at least have some sort of an interest. Basically, over the past month or two, we've seen some behavior from Aaron Carter that has sparked a lot of headlines and a lot of news, and people are really curious as to what's going on. And what I said to Julie last week was, if this wasn't our job, there's physically no way that I would have been able to keep up with it because it's so much. It is our job, and it's still hard to keep up with. Yeah. So what I'm saying is I really wanted to do this podcast because we both felt like we wanted to kind of inform everyone that's curious but doesn't have the time to to really deep dive because it's, it's hours worth of stuff. Oh my God. I was working on this outline for like probably two weeks. You were. And plus the other thing that's so different about this situation than others is that he is, you know, doesn't have a publicist, doesn't have anything, which we'll get into. So he's really taking the narrative in his own hands. So he's doing things much more frequently than other celebrities would. For example, this guy goes live every single day. And in every single one of those lives, there's important content. So, it's just a lot. We're gonna do as best as we can to kind of give you a general overview for what's going on. And um I would yeah. also um I think it's important to explain that you're far more invested in this than
1: the average person. Yeah. For I think sure. that's like a, a fair warning for when you're gonna be when you're gonna be listening to this and Emma will chime in with like a really random fact. <laughs> and you're gonna be like, I've thought I was keeping up, but how does she? It's because she is really and just as invested as she is, let's preface the story by saying, we recently left LA. We had a whole week in LA. And at the end of the trip, we were like, what was the best part? Like, we all went around and said, like, what was your peak and pit, whatever. And we we're like, Emma, what was your best part? <laughs> Meanwhile, keeping in mind, we had a whole week in LA and then we went to Palm Springs for her birthday with my dad, <laughs> with her dad and her two best friends in the entire world. And we're like, Emma, what was your best part of the trip? She goes, Probably Aaron Carter on the No Jumper podcast.
0: (laughs) I'm like, are you literally fucking kidding me? And I I still, to this day, a minute ago, I said to Julie, I'm telling you, it's still top five, and I will get into all of it. The way that we're doing this episode is we're going to start with a little bit of a history on their family, because it's so important that you have some kind of stepping stones to really understand what's going on. Because if you just hear this, yeah, it's crazy. But then once you hear the background, you're like, holy shit. Okay, you ready, Jewel? I am ready. Okay. Again, a little bit of background and then we get into present day. So there are five members of his immediate nuclear family, including or or plus an additional two siblings. So his oldest brother is Nick Carter, obviously from the Backstreet Boys. He has an older sister, Bobby Jean, an older sister, Leslie, who's passed away. A twin sister Angel, there's of course Aaron, his two parents, Jane and Robert, his dad passed away, and there are two other siblings that um, his dad had from a new marriage after the divorce, right? Correct. Okay. So when you think, you know, Nick Carter and Aaron Carter, I feel like they, in a lot of ways, epitomize what we think of of teen sensations, right? Right. Nick, you know, at only 13 years old, was when they formed the Backstreet Boys. Aaron was six at the time, just for context. And, you know, the Backstreet Boys, from that was in 1993. In 1996 was when they kind of first had their real big hit. And only one year later, 1997, is when Aaron has his. He was born in 87. So this is only 10 years from the time that, you know, not only—it's very rare to have one kind of child sensation in the family, let alone— Another at the exact same time,
1: which I think also says a lot um, about the way they grew
0: up and what their parents were like. Totally, which we're so going to get into. Listen, I'm not going through—we're not going through every single detail of his life. We just picked out the things that I we think are important for you guys to get a better understanding of current day. So in 2000, September of 2000, when Aaron was 12, he released Aaron's party, which— For those of you listening, I hope the nostalgia is kind of flooding you. That was I Want Candy, Aaron's Party. Those were I mean, as as a kid, that there was nothing more. No, it was those were songs of our childhood. I mean, when I think
1: of Aaron Carter, I think of him performing I Want Candy on the Hillary Duff episode, which is also the scandal in and of himself because he's dating Hillary Duff and Lindsay Lohan at the same time.
0: There's so much There's there. There's just so much. It was like it epitomized early 2000s. It really did. So he, some of the other, you know, big points of his career was he performed as the opening act for the Backstreet Boys and Britney. And when he was 13, he recorded Oh Aaron. It was released in 2001. And that was his first ever duet recording with Nick. So you know, of course, once when we get into present day and you'll hear how kind of tumultuous and toxic Nick and Aaron's relationship was, it's important to understand that, yeah, they may have had issues growing up, but they were, at the core of it, very tight-knit. Right. They collaborated together. They were both—they were close even with the issues. Like Right. It's one of those things
1: where— I think that publicly they made it seem like there was zero issues there and probably under the surface, there was a lot more than we saw and a lot more than they let on. And maybe even as close as we thought they were back then, they weren't actually. But the perception was that these were two
0: inseparable brothers. Exactly. I also just want to take a moment um, to talk for a second about their mom. So their mom, Jane, she was Nick and Aaron's manager and the, the story that has been painted is that she basically focused her attention on whoever was bringing in the most money at the time. And she was, which again, we will get into more now. She had a lot of alcoholism and a lot of, it, it was not easy for her being the like stage mom because she was some points on the road. And when she wasn't on the road, there was a lot of drinking going on and a lot of um, toxicity, I think, in her marriage. And her and their dad, her husband, got divorced in 2003, So a lot of scandals happened around this time because apparently, you know, after the divorce, she had removed hundred grand from Aaron's bank account without his permission, and the dad was the one who showed him this. Like, there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of reports about
1: money issues. That was, like, the main thing with the mom, and there was a lot of things that came out in the news about her either taking money without his permission, them, both Nick and Aaron, not being paid the amount that they were supposed to be. It was always painted this picture of the mother who used her kids for their fame and for the money. Like, she was profiting off of them,
0: and that was always the picture that was painted of her. Totally, which is now, again, when we get into today's stuff, it's really interesting how that kind of manifested itself. But in 2004, which was a year after the divorce, their mom, Jane, gets arrested and charged with battery for beating up um, her ex-husband's new girlfriend. So, like, a lot of stuff was going on here, but by no means was even if this family was close at times, by no means was it ever unchaotic. There was always There was a lot always of, something. And they almost thrived in the chaos. That's what they were used to. Which brings us to- Do you have a memory of
1: like all of- Because I don't. I'm only saying like knowing what I'm reading and what the news reports were at the time. But do you have a memory of their family being chaotic? For sure. Yeah.
0: I think that the reason that this this whole story kind of like, struck a chord with yeah. me is maybe because, and I'm forgetting it, but I I think I had an attachment. Like not like a- I wasn't in love with any of the Carters but I, I think I was really interested in their dynamic like I watched House of Carters which is what we're about see, to see I, I didn't I, I,
1: I think that I was I think I was too young to like have a memory of like even as I was doing this like admittedly even as I was doing this I was like was Aaron not in the backstreet like there was a part of me that was like oh yeah he wasn't a Backstreet Boy member yeah.
0: no I think that that's a common that's a thing that a lot of people especially that's when our like three year age difference like, really comes into shows. play yeah Anyway, so in 2006, their family stars in the show called House of Carters. And it was all of the siblings and it was on E. And basically, they all moved into a house together in LA. They hadn't lived together in like 10 years altogether. Aaron was 19 at the time. And it was the epitome of like an early 2000s reality show, right? Yeah. We did, a. we watched some episodes of this just to kind of get us into this headspace. And I really do recommend watching, we'll tell you the specific episode because it's, it is absolutely, it, it, no, it is imperative to fully understanding this yes. narrative,
1: right? Well, I think before we get into what clip Emma's talking about, I think the first thing is in the first episode, just to explain that, is when you really see the dynamic between all the siblings. And there's this one scene where they sit down and they have dinner together. And you can it really explains the dynamic when Nick goes around and asks everyone what they're doing in their lives. Like in the most basic, like, are you still pursuing your singing career? Are you still doing modeling? Like they were so uninvolved in each other's lives at this point, except for the way it seems is that Nick and Aaron really like knew what was going on. But the other siblings seem so removed that as they're going through, it was like, none of them knew what was going on in the other's life. And I think there was one part where Nick was talking about like maybe Leslie or maybe the older one and says, um, I
0: haven't seen her in ten years. Yeah, it, it, exactly. What Julie's saying is important. That's why I'm telling you. Just wa- you should watch just like if you if you care the first twenty minutes of the first episode just to kind of get the vibe. Again, a it's long on time YouTube. Ago. It's on YouTube. But anyway, this this show it only asked, lasted um, one season. It was only eight episodes. But again, it was a good look. And the scene that is so telling now, and Aaron has not only re- um, referenced previously, but we also I mean recently, but we also watched it. Is there's this one scene where Nick and Aaron are fighting because Aaron's playing his music too loud, and Nick wants to wants him to quiet down, and they end up getting into this like very heated physical altercation. And you see them go into a room, close the door, and you just hear shit being banged. Like you're like, what is going on? And they come out and they are screaming at each other. And Aaron says to Nick, "Quote, obviously Julie transcribed this because this is how fucking hard we go. You are not a good person, and everyone sees it." And Nick is saying back to him, I don't trust you after Paris, which he's referring to is Nick dated Paris Hilton. And after they broke up, he said that he found photos of Paris, not nude photos, just of her smiling on Aaron's phone, meaning Aaron was hanging out with her without his his permission. Aaron clarified the fact that like him and Paris never had anything. Nick thought it was weird. And this this fight, I'm I'm really minimizing how intense it was. Like it was fucking intense. Like I get the whole brotherly, arguing thing this was
1: some shit well there's one part where Aaron says to Nick and I thought this was the most interesting part where Aaron says to Nick like you're not a good person everybody sees it the way you treat me the way you treat everyone and the way you treat mom and Nick cuts in and says I told you we can talk about that another time and what that woman has done to me and like belittled me my entire life and it was just interesting especially knowing the dynamic now to watch Aaron defend his mother, even though they, this is past the point when she, you know, had allegedly taken money from them in the divorce and all of these things. And Nick being like, you don't
0: understand what it was like for me. Exactly. His exact quote was, Aaron, I told you we would have a discussion about this, but I've gone through with that woman. If you had been disrespected and belittled your whole life by your mother, they were really not seeing eye to eye. And you're, that's such a good point that that one little scene from 13 years ago is very telling now in the way that they approach the relationship with the mom.
1: So, Let's just— Well, also, it's important to note that, like, this fight also ended with them, like, really hugging. It's, like—it didn't just, like, end with them walking away. It was, like, ended with, like, okay, this is a brotherly um, argument, even though it was way more intense than that. But the way it ended was, like, it didn't seem like, you know, here is an argument and we hate each
0: other. It ended with, like, I'm sorry and, like, I love you and a hugging. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say on this, and keep this thought in the back of your head for when we get to current day, which is— when Aaron comes back at Nick like physically Nick is kind of shocked that he was fighting back and he says like you never do this and Aaron says for like, your first time in your life you came at me yeah and Aaron's like i was sick of it like i had to just keep that in the back of your mind because it's going to become important later so just to give a general overview of some of Aaron's kind of previous issues or running with the law he's had multiple DUIs um in 2017 he was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence and pot possession and Nick at the time wrote on Twitter to my brother, I love you no matter what, and if you feel the need to reach for help, I'm here and willing to help you get better. Family isn't always easy, but we're all here for you. And Aaron responded to the tweet and said, if my own blood truly cared about my well-being, why wouldn't he call me directly and have a conversation instead of making this about him through a very public forum? That's not cool at all to use me for his PR and kick me while I'm down. I love my family despite it through thick and thin. He deleted that, but again, a lot of, you know, What's different about them than a lot of other sibling fights in Hollywood is that it's so public. Right. Like, not just public because of the reality show. A lot of their altercations happen online. Yes. It's kind of um, the way
1: we talk about how reality stars deal with things. We're not used to celebrities dealing so publicly, especially with family issues, especially with that. So when we see it online, it's like neither of them— Aaron more than Nick. Nick tends to be a little bit quieter, especially now that he has a family. He's not reacting so much on Twitter. But Aaron doesn't. There's no holding back. He's going to air it all. For sure. So it's, it's just interesting. It's a dynamic we don't normally see, especially within families. For sure.
0: Um, in terms of Nick, he, he uh, from 2000 to 2000, 2003 to 2004, he dated Paris. And he had this autobiography in 2013 that he came out and basically said that She wasn't a good influence on him and and how kind of she fed his worst impulses and all this kind of stuff. And he's spoken publicly on Ellen, on Dr. Phil, about his substance abuse issues, right? Yes. He – this is an interesting thing. So in 2008, he had gained a lot of weight and he had all this chest discomfort and he didn't understand what it was from. So he went to see a cardiologist. He got all these tests. And the day that the test results were supposed to be returned to him, quote – I went out and I just went nuts. I drank so much and did a bunch of blow. I felt like I was trying to kill myself because I didn't want us to get the results. He then got diagnosed with cardiomyopathy, which is kind of like a weakening of the heart muscles. It can eventually lead to heart failure or sudden cardiac death, whatever. But basically, he—I feel like that was a turning point for him in realizing that he wanted to turn his life around.
1: Well, yeah, it was. It was like he after that night, he had this point where he was like, "I do want to live." And he got those test results back and was like, "Okay." Like, this is manageable as long as I do something about it. And cardiomyopathy is is really related to cocaine abuse. I mean, that's what this comes from. And he says, he's like, I went out and did a ton of blow. And I think once he realized where his life was headed, he
0: managed to turn around. Like, it was really, it took rock bottom, essentially, for him to... For sure. To get there. He also has um a bit of a criminal record due to some assault charges, which again, we will get more into. He
1: definitely has a temper. We definitely see that. That's not a secret by any means. But the thing is
0: the thing about that we we really learned from this is that all of them do. Yes. All of the Carters seem, seemingly at least, have tempers that I think part of it comes from the fact that there wasn't this level of discipline growing up, and partially because of the chaos they grew up in. Like that's no blame to their parents. I'm just saying that I think. Stuff is a little messy. You know what I mean? I think a little messy to say the least. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen,
1: this is one of those stories where as we're going through it, it's only kind of he said, he said, she said. Like we don't, we'll never know and we'll never know the depths of what actually happened in that house. And it could be a lot different than what's coming out. And it could be a lot worse than what's coming out. And I think that this is one of those stories where you kind of have to almost piece it together yourself just based on what you've seen and what you've heard about the different members of the family and kind of draw conclusions because it's
0: impossible to say for sure what went on. For sure. One last thing um, that I just want to say, it's kind of a random anecdote, but it's, I, I just, people are talking about it, so let's just clarify it, which is Aaron's relationship with Michael Jackson. Basically, he met Michael for the first time when he was 14 and he was in the recording studio and at the time, Michael was preparing to record his charity song, What More Can I Give? He wanted Aaron to participate. So, Aaron accepted and they kind of started working closely together. Recently, when the Leaving Neverland documentary came out, Aaron went on TMZ Live and basically he wanted to defend Michael's legacy. And he said, you know, I'd, I'd love to punch Wade Robinson in the face if I could. Denied, you know, anything sexual happening with Michael, saying, denying any wrongdoing, right? Correct. Then he was on Marriage Bootcamp, Reality Stars Family Edition, and it hasn't premiered yet. But there's footage where he says that Jackson um, only acted inappropriately towards him once. Like, he's like, there was this one time. We ha- Again, it hasn't come out yet, so I don't know. But he did say that. And then after, though, he tweeted, and he was, he was
1: upset that that clip was aired. And he was like, well, don't twist my words. It wasn't—he tweeted. He said, in no way, shape, or form did I accuse— Michael being a child molester. My reasoning for even speaking on this subject is to tell my truth, be real and have also have his back based on my experience with Michael. He was an amazing guy. I stand by that. So I ask you not to turn this into something that it isn't. In my opinion, it was a little inappropriate, and that's what he said, but it's so weird to me that that's he said that, but then was trying to justify
0: that as it not being inappropriate. And he was saying it as a way to defend him. I don't know. I real I I truthfully have no idea. Like the the psychology that went on here, I can imagine maybe it's, it, you know, it's a hard for maybe he feels ashamed. Maybe he maybe really nothing happened. I I genuinely don't know. But it it is interesting because he doesn't just maintain one stance. He goes back and forth. Well, the other thing that's that's
1: interesting is. Um, And we'll get into this with the things that he's accused Nick of in a little bit, but just to relate it back to Michael Jackson, people have said to him, you know, you're asking people to believe all of these victims. What about Michael Jackson's victims? And he says, I've apologized to them for not believing them. So I I don't know if he's then, you know, switching his position or if he wants, I, I don't know. I think it's very interesting. And I think. There's probably a lot more to that relationship than he's willing to let on. And also when you've when you're someone like Aaron Carter, there could be so much that you're suppressing that he's not even remembering, I don't know. He could have he could have also had an honest relationship with Michael Jackson, and that doesn't mean that Michael Jackson didn't have an honest relationship like it, it doesn't um take away from people's claims about Michael Jackson just because Aaron Carter doesn't have that experience. Right, exactly. So that's it, what I think is
0: the important part to point out. No, for sure. So Haverdash is the newest online wear and return rental subscription service for everyday clothing. Basically, this is kind of their mindset. They believe that there are clothes that you have, which are like staples of your wardrobe that you invest in, you own. And then there are clothes that add a dash of color. So of color, print, fashion, or trend to your wardrobe. And those are pieces that you rent. So the whole idea is that you get to rock them once, and then you send them back as often as you want per month for a monthly flat fee of $59. So you kind of fill your virtual closet with everything that you want to wear. So things that maybe you know work well on you, things you've wanted to try but been a little too scared to. You can wear it once, and then you can return it for your next new item. So you get three items shipped at a time, and you can enjoy wearing them. So you can wear things once, or you can wear them as often as you want. And then you send back all three items to get your next shipment of three. Again, you can swap them out for as many times as you want for new items, as often, as little, whatever you want. If you try something and you fall in love with it, you just get to buy it for a discounted price. All of this stuff for $59 a month, it makes Haverdash the most affordable subscription wear and return rental service. So head over to haverdash.com and sign up today. There are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince cuz I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And Get warm, rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince dot com slash CBC. So, a couple of important like tragedies that happened in their family is that, first off, the oldest sister, Leslie, died in 2012 from an overdose. Um, she had struggled with substance abuse issues for years and Nick did not attend her funeral, which now we see Aaron talking about that a lot. Um, Also in May of 2017, which was, I mean, I just, I don't know. I get so, like, emotional talking about this because I, this, they went through so much shit, this kid. Like, truly, he really did, honestly. So in May of 2017, his father dies from a heart attack. He still maintains If you hear Aaron talk about it now, that he's like, it's from unknown causes. Like, he still says, it just was random, like, we don't know. Um, Apparently, it was from a heart attack. It came out of left field. Yes, it's seemingly so. Whereas Leslie, it's not that, of course, they were saddened, but there was no shock factor there from the way that they've expressed it. Like, she was struggling with really, really intense substance abuse issues for so long that I think that they were almost in the back of their heads, almost like, it was their worst nightmare, but they kind of were expecting it in a right. way. It's like, yeah, it's it's um, like Aaron had
1: said that he, on Oprah, that like a week before she had passed away, that he was going to put up, the, he had just gotten a bonus for something and he was going to put up the money and help her go to rehab. Yeah. And she passed away before they were able to. Um, And when Nick's response to Leslie's death was that, Apparently, he felt that the entire family blamed him, like that if he had been more active or if he had done more, that she would still be alive. And I think that's like the fi- the family dynamic of blaming one sibling for another's death is like there's there's no normalcy to, like normalcy, that yeah. is normalcy to that. There's just like it, I, it's hard to put yourself in a position, even if we were going to say that, like, you know what Nick's done is wrong, all of these things like no matter what side you're taking. To be blamed for the death of of your sibling just shows
0: the fi- family dynamic for sure. And and Aaron maintains that even as of, as recently as of last week, he was on an interview which I'll talk about, and he literally said, "Yeah, Nick didn't attend Leslie's funeral because uh, you know a month or so before she died, she came knocking on Nick's door asking for help, and he he kind of blew her off because he had a gig, like word for word. That's what he said. It's also interesting the two responses to the father's death, to the deaths. Yeah, yeah. let me read those. So when the, their dad died, Nick tweets. I'm heartbroken to share the news that our father, Robert, passed away last night. While we learn more about the cause of death and begin the grieving process, we ask that our privacy be respected at this difficult time. Aaron tweets, My heart is completely shattered. I'm in shock and I love my dad so much. Hashtag RIP Daddy, I love you. And then he said, My heart is broken. We're so hurt. We lost you, Papa, way too soon. You were never human to me. You were always my real-life superhero. He's maintained that. Like, he speaks positively about his dad, even so recently to the point where he In one of his most recent interviews, um, he was on Logan Paul's podcast, Impulsive, and he said, like, I don't know, they were talking about something, and he said, all I need is my dad's eyes. Like, don't I have my dad's eyes? And he made Logan pull up a picture of him next to his dad and look him in the eyes and be like, I have my dad's eyes. That's all I need. Like, his relationship with his dad, I think, goes really, really deep.
1: Yeah, and I think that also what was interesting about the different responses wasn't even—I don't think it's a reflection of their relationships. I just think it's a reflection and— a testament to the way Aaron deals with things differently than Nick. Like Aaron is, you'll see it throughout, is so emotional and so emotionally invested in things. And I think that comes out a lot with the way Nick deals with things, which is usually temper first and Aaron is usually emotion first. Yeah,
0: totally. I think that's a really good point. Um, okay. Let me just give you a couple of other family anecdotes before I get into um, there's 2017. So there's so much. Listen, we again, I want to say, I said this in the beginning, there's 0% chance we hit it all. Like, zero. I'm just—we're just—we're trying to give you as much as we can. Right. In, in the best way possible. But I really do want to get into the current stuff. Okay. Aaron's twin sister, Angel, she got married in 2014. Aaron walked her down the aisle, and Nick wasn't there. Then— also in April 2014, Nick married his wife, Lauren Kitt, and Aaron wasn't in attendance. Apparently, it was because um, he had another gig. He couldn't go. He already signed a contract. But just interesting, the absences of family members at other family members' events, right? But most recently, one in 2018, Aaron released his album, Love, and Nick tweeted like f- his full support congratulating him. And then as recently as February of this year— Aaron shouted out Backstreet Boys after um they had their first number one album in 20 years with DNA and he wrote, quote, I can't tell you how happy this makes me for my brother and all the guys who were like brothers to me growing up. Love you guys. That was in February. We are now in October of the same year. And the amount of shit we're about to tell you, you're gonna, you're gonna fucking lose your mind. I seriously you're lose it. It's <laughs> insane. Okay. I'm like, let me just get comfortable for this. Yeah, it's strapping kids. Yeah. <laughs> I also just want to say, and I I don't know if I said this in the beginning, but can never say it too much. Okay, what we're about to talk about is really very interesting and very kind of fascinating and intense. But, and I would be lying if I said that I wasn't super intrigued by the story. And um, you know, I, I I do enjoy learning more about it. That being said, it is so important for all of us to like truly hold such a sense of empathy for this guy because what he's going through, whether or not you agree with him, believe it, it is so hard. Like it is so, so, so hard. Imagine being in the public eye from the time you're 10 years old and earlier and then having all this stuff and it being so public and he's clearly going through stuff. And I just want to, I don't know, I literally was crying last night no, watching House are. of like I literally was crying watching House of Cards because you see the pain in, this, in his eyes. And I just want everybody to be conscious of that. Also, let's throw a trigger warning in here because there are a lot of yeah. really intense, deep themes yeah. going on. There are going to be some intense details for sure. So we're going to go back to 2017 for one second because this was his Aaron's first appearance on, appearance on the show The Doctors. If anybody's seen this, it's kind of like a health-focused talk show, and it—I it, it I don't know. They, they interview a lot of different people, and it's very what you would expect from, like, daytime television. They, it's dramatic and it's intense, but they get some really good interviews. So he came on the show to discuss the fact, one, his drug-related arrests, and two, his appearance being so, so, so thin. Right. He— like came out publicly and said first off I'm bisexual which he had never really said that publicly before and I think I'm HIV positive he said this all in like one right. breath I and mean, it was like a really and he said I you know I can't stop losing weight uh, he he was he was having like a real um I'm trying to think the right word because if you watch that interview you can see what's going on in his head you know what yeah. I mean like he's he's having like what's going on all of a sudden? You know what I mean? coming to light moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So he tested negative for illegal drugs, but he tested positive for, quote, a mixture of uh, benzos with opiates. Again, very potentially dangerous conversation. So he was 115 pounds at the time. His BMI was 17, which like 18 to 25 is what they consider normal. And he was advised to enter into rehab under medical care. And he did. He went to ALO House, which is a treatment center in Malibu. So as far as the doctors were concerned, this was a relatively successful interview because he did get the help that they thought he needed. Correct. Okay. Let's go now to August of this year. This is when his girlfriend of almost one year, Lena Valentina, they broke up. He had a temporary restraining order against her, which he dropped. But I'm going to cite that in my <laughs> from the little knowledge that I have as the trigger in this particular year of kind of this spiral. Yeah, I, I think
1: that's... Do you think that's I fair? think that's fair to say. I think he would also um, allude to that as well. Yeah.
0: So I, to be totally honest, and I think a lot of you, I mean, those of you who like really listen know that we are kind of interested in the YouTube world, may have picked up on this the same time we did. I really started paying attention to this closely when he was filmed with Trisha. They were doing, Trisha Paytas, who's a YouTube star, they were doing these live streams together, and it was so bizarre. It was like they were driving and also kissing, and and, right, it was like erratic. Yeah, it was very, very, yeah. And that's when we were like, what is going on? So on September 3rd, he's photographed outside of a pawn shop in LA, and he's buying a handgun, a rifle, and a lot of ammo. So apparently... He purchased all these firearms from his, or he inherited all these firearms from his dad. And he, the way that he says it now, did you hear this? That he's going to donate all of them to the military. And right? the only way that he can donate them is if he has
1: his gun license. Right. I don't under. And the only way he can inherit them in order to donate them
0: is the way he uh, worded it. Exactly. So that's a September 3rd. On September 11th, Aaron went on the doctors again. This was almost two years after his first appearance. It aired on the 14th, and he was talking about his mental health diagnosis. There's so much here, Julie. I'm like, do you think we're doing okay? We're doing great, I think. So his quote is, the official diagnosis that I suffer from is multiple personality disorder, schizophrenia, acute anxiety, a manic depressive, unprescribed, Xanax, Seroquel, gabapentin, hydroxone, trazodone, omeprazole. He basically came to the doctors to tell them, this is what I'm being diagnosed as, like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. The other co-piece of him being on this show was that his mom, you know, admittedly was is an alcoholic and he really wanted to get her help. He's like, I know what rehab has done for me. Like, I need to give her this same help. And the mom talks about her struggles with alcoholism, but it's
1: like very intense. She talks about even going back to when, she, when they were, you know, these teen pop sensations and she was on the road with them. And she says, you know, it was a couple of shots then and then progress to now she's uh, drinks a whole bottle of vodka before noon she was saying and then she like goes to her schedule of everything she does and Aaron's kind of sitting there with her being like no mom tell the truth like tell them like she's like and then usually I'll take a nap and she's like and he says to her no you you sleep off the hangover that you're going through like don't like he's really urging her to be honest like you can just tell that he's coming from a place of having had already done that himself
0: for sure and there's two outcomes that come from the show. The first is that sh- the mom agrees to go to rehab, and you can see, I think what we were talking—this is this is the point that I want to mention. When we're talking about before, back in the day, the fight that Aaron and Nick got into in 2006 when Aaron said, like, he's defending the mom, this is kind of how it felt now. Like, his he's the epitome in this scene, I think you can say, of, like, a mama's boy. Like, he truly, no matter all of her issues, he— idolizes his mom in a way. Like he just wants her to be okay.
1: Well, I think what it is also um, is that you can tell, and you said this too, that he has such like a a need to be loved where I think that he, that trumps everything else in his life. So his need for not only his approval from his mother, but his love from his mother is so strong that he's willing to forgive everything else that could have happened. So I think in his head, he's like, okay, if I get her help, then she'll be my mom again. Like that was kind of, you could tell that was almost the thought process that you had. Whereas I think Nick's thought process in this, and she says it that, you know, her and Nick don't have a relationship because he spoke she spoke poorly about his wife. I think whereas Nick took the approach of, and again, the difference of their personalities, fuck her, done. I think that Aaron, there's nothing that she could say to him. And she says this, there's nothing you can do that I wouldn't That's- forgive. And I think that you can just see this boy, I mean, I know he's 30, but he seems like just a lost boy who is just craving love. Like he's just craving feeling protected. And I think that not that the mom can't give it to him, but I think he's doing everything in his power to put her in a position where where she can give him what he wants.
0: Literally, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't even need to reiterate because that's exactly what I was going to say. And if you watch this doctor's interview, just watch that one clip when she says, There's nothing that you could do that would make me not love you. You can see in his eyes, like, that's all he needed to hear. Right. Like, she is the one person that it's an unconditional love, and that's what he craves more than anything. And you're exactly right. He was that little boy in that scene. Right. It's like, it almost doesn't matter to him whether she means it or not.
1: Exactly. Because with people, you know, who are, you know, suffering from addictions and and they say this that like lying is a huge piece of it. Lying is a huge piece of your addiction he says about himself he says about his mother so you know even when you have somebody who's lied to you almost your entire life if you feel that way like it would be understandable for him to not trust what she, she's saying in this moment and I think that regardless of anything he for himself needs to trust her so he was able to put or seemingly able to put everything else aside in that moment
0: it's exactly spot on Okay, OpenFit. We've talked about it before, but it's a really awesome company. So basically, OpenFit takes all the complexity out of getting fit. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. The thing about this is that it's an unmatched level of convenience. Like you can do it at the gym if you want, but you can also do it at your house, in your hotel room. It's very, very conducive to a lifestyle that you know has a lot of things going on. So you can sculpt your body in the convenience of your own home, no eyes on you. You have... Workouts with trainers like Andrea Rogers, who is the founder of Extend Bar, which is amazing. Or uh, Rough Around the Edges with six of the most badass stunt women in the business. And you don't have to feel weird about people watching you. It's very, very easy. to could be as private as you want it to be. It's also affordable and accessible. So let's say you're going on vacation and your hotel doesn't have a gym. You can view this on your computer, your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, even Roku. Some places only kind of sell classes as a package. And let's say you can't make it to every class. So this brings the class to you. OpenFit has honestly changed the way that we work out and texting our code comments to 303030, you can join us on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Right now, during the OpenFit 30 Day Challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit. When you text comments to 303030, you'll get full access to OpenFit, all of the workouts and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text comments to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. So on the 17th, Nick served Aaron with a restraining order and Aaron tweeted at him and said, Take care, at Nick Carter. We're done for life. I haven't seen him in four years, and I don't intend. You should send a cease and desist while you're at it, too. Nick tweets and says... "'After careful consideration, my sister Angel and I regret that we were required to seek a restraining order against our brother Aaron today. In light of Aaron's increasingly alarming behavior and his recent confession that he harbors thoughts and intentions of killing my pregnant wife and unborn child, we were left with no choice but to take away every measure possible to protect ourselves and our family. We love our brother and truly hope he gets in the proper treatment he needs before any harm comes to himself or anyone else.'" And then he hashtagged, hashtag mental health, hashtag gun control now, hashtag gun control. Again, Aaron has been photographed a lot with these rifles and, you know, all these different guns. And that was one of the narratives that Nick was kind of uh, pushing back against. Like, right. Take, like, take these, take this guy's guns away. That was what Nick wanted. Right. At the same time that this is all happening, a million things are happening. First off, Aaron is going live constantly. He This, this guy has been going live pretty much all day for the past three weeks, minimally, Okay. He's now—this is when it re, the claims really, really start. This is when he starts claiming that Nick is a serial rapist, that Nick raped a 91-year-old woman named Mildred, that his older sister Leslie raped him from the ages of— Raped Aaron. Ra- raped Aaron, I'm sorry, from the ages of 10 to 13. 13. That Nick— forced Aaron to drink alcohol from the ages of 10 to 15 to the point that he had alcohol poisoning 10 times, that the reason that he currently has a hiatal hernia is because of the alcohol poisoning and the, and the damage done to him, his insides because of Nick forcing him, the fact that Nick beat the shit out of him all the time, and just maintaining the fact that Nick is a basically a terrible person and that not only did he abuse him, he also abused Paris Hilton, and there were other women that he had dated that had come forward with claims...
1: During, you know, a a little while ago when everything was coming out, uh, Me Too-wise, these women, I I have to pull up their names because they should be in there. Melissa Shulman is one of them, who said that in 2017 that she had rape allegations against Nick and the statute of limitations kept it from being pursued. But one of the things that Aaron did was he, you know, spoke about these allegations. And his thought process, I think, was that the reason that Nick... Um, had the restraining order against him or Nick was mad at him was because he, because Aaron, was um, speaking in support of the women who had allegations against Nick.
0: Right. And something very interesting is that Aaron tweeted something, like literally this past week, about Paris Hilton saying like, you know, I never wanted to drag Paris into it because she knows the abuse that she received at, at the hands I of Nick, Nick and, the, and the, 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 the abuse that I received. And Paris liked that tweet. You know, again, you could say that um, she just accidentally slipped. I there's, I think it was intentional. My belief. I do too. I think that. Um,
1: yeah, I do. I don't think that Paris would just like that tweet by accident. I don't think. I don't think so
0: either. It doesn't seem uh, logical to me. I also fully believe, Melissa, that the woman that came out against um, against Nick, like I, hundred percent. Yeah, believe that. Um,
1: Well, that was one of the things also, which is, you know, relating back to what I was saying before about the Michael Jackson thing, that's why it was coming, you know, very full circle as, as Aaron was tweeting out in support of all of these women's and all of these cases. And they were like, well, how are you not going to, you know, you said you would punch Wade Robson in the face and he said, I apologize to them. So it's just interesting the, the, the
0: way the Michael Jackson aspect of this comes into play. Exactly. That's why we were mentioning it before, because it, it does come into play now because he kind of shot himself in the foot no pun intended, it was all gun thing, with, um, you know, not believing the victims. And then he obviously had to take that back. When when I was saying before, when he accused in this... This all, I know I'm saying it all like at once because it, it literally happened all, happened all at once. Like it was like that. a giant Twitter storm. And one of the other things he said, talking about how his sister Leslie raped him, he said, quote, My sister Leslie suffered from bipolar and took lithium to treat it. She never liked the way it made her feel, and when she was off, that she did things that she never meant to do. I truly believe that. I was 10 years old. My sister raped me from the ages of 10 to 13 when she wasn't on her medica- medications. He also said that two of his backup dancers sexually abused him and that his brother abused him his whole life. Not sexually Nick, like yeah. physically Nick abusing him. Well, although he didn't specify. He didn't, but we didn't have, specify, but, but I, I, the reason that I feel that way is because— um, I think he would have specified. I think he would have had, specified. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So this is all happening, right? And we're watching as the world is like kind of um, in, in almost like just— I don't know. I don't even know the right word to say it. And kind of like shock. Yeah, and disbelief. And disbelief yeah. of what's going on. And an interesting theme that I'm about to talk about is that— You know, we always talk, oh, do celebrities read their mean comments? Do celebrities read what trolls say? Aaron Carter has been so vocal in saying he does read it. And it it basically killed him on the inside. And instead of taking the approach of ignoring them, he thinks that everybody's being so stupid for ignoring stuff. And basically we need to just head on confront them back and say to them, like, what's going on with you? Why do you feel the need to attack me? Are you okay? That's his whole thing that he was preaching on the doctors and that he's been preaching a lot. Like, you kind of have to take a bully by the horns. Yeah. Right? An important note, which I forgot to say, on the doctors is he maintains the fact that since his first time in 2017 being there, that he has maintained complete sobriety with the exception of smoking weed, and with the exception of he was he was huffing. Yes. And, and he admits that he lied the first time he was on the doctors about it, because that doesn't come up in tests. Exactly. And he knew he knew it didn't come up in tests. So he purposely kind of omitted that information because he knew he wouldn't get fucked for it. This time he's being a lot more truthful. Huffing, for anybody that doesn't know, is you can do it with paint, you can do it with a lot of stuff. He did it with dusters, which is like those little cans where you spray the keyboard. Yeah. And it's the way that he describes it is like a, a thousand times the intensity of a whippet. You basically like hallucinate for 20 seconds and it's insane, but it fucks so badly with the serotonin receptors in your brain. Right. So he's on all of these medications now just to counteract the effects that the huffing did to him. Right. Okay. So he, and at the end of the doctor's episode, he agrees to go for intensive screening to decide whether or not all of these diagnoses of schizophrenia and bipolar and manic depressive are actually happening, right. right? That was how that ended. And we still don't know the results from that. That no, was only 16 days ago.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, with all of those diagnoses, it takes. it's going to take a while. And one of the things the, doctor was, the doctors were saying to him on the show was, you are seeing so many different people and so many different things. for." They were like, you need one person to do this because uh, what one doctor diagnoses schizophrenia could be what one doctor is diagnosing as multiple personalities. And it may not be the same. You may not even have either of them. They're just going with your symptoms and not everyone has a a, a clear thing. And I I think that's also important to keep in mind when, you know, thinking about this whole Aaron thing and everything he's saying and all of these claims that you're making, like he is in, in a place right now where, He's just because he's on medication doesn't mean he's a hundred percent right or he's he's there. It could be fucking with him even more rather than helping. For sure. And I think it's important to keep in mind because listen, there were a lot of claims that were made against Nick about his family, all of these things. And I think that it's important to keep in mind that with certain claims that were made, it it's like it's one of those things where it's like, does that sound right? And I don't think it's for any of us to decide one way
0: or the other. And I think that's important to keep in mind. No, it's not. None of us can even fathom what was going on in that house. And and from the eight episodes that we saw, like, it just made us further realize how much we really could not fathom. Right. Okay. So on Wednesday, September 25th, two days before my birthday, and this is why I was—I have listened to this episode three times. This podcast episode three fucking times. He went on the No Jumper podcast and— the guy that hosts is this guy, Adam22, and it's a super just like raw interview. It's it's no bullshit, basically. They're just having a very honest conversation. And he, I really, if you have any interest in this, listen to this episode just to hear. It's different when you're hearing something versus watching it. You can watch it on YouTube, but I think to hear it is almost more intense. And he doubles down on everything he says. He says he calls Nick a serial rapist. He responds to the, you know, reiterating that his sister raped him and when Adam asks him well why were you able to forgive your sister but not your brother and he says because Leslie apologized to me before she died Nick has never apologized to him in his belief um, he continues to say that Nick raped the 91 year old woman I, like, I took some notes separately and apart from this outline on the, on the episode so I just want to pull that up because I, I couldn't even keep track of the amount of shit that happened in this right? no it was I mean it was a lot to unfold he talks about how he references that House of Carter's clip and says, do you hear how Nick says that, that was the first time I ever fought back? He's like, I suffered abuse at this guy's hands for my entire life, basically. He's, he's talking about everything. He's talking about present-day past. He, everything is kind of moshed together. He's talking about, one, how he has to move because Backstreet Boys fans are showing up at his house right now because of his claims against Nick. He's talking about how he's at $4.9 million in real estate this year, and how he made two hundred thousand from Sony, but that he has to that he has to sue them. How he, like, Julie, what's a word to describe this episode other than just like a whirlwind of everything that was going on in his head? Manic. Yeah, it, it really was, and it was like fascinating, but also very saddening for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of
1: those things where you really once you're invested, you can't look away. But. It, you know, I think there's a lot of celebrity stories where they're all over the place where you kind of get pleasure from, you know, how crazy it is and keeping up with this. I don't know. Really, this is just not one of them. I think regardless of who you believe, what side you're on, whether you pick a side or not, I think it's just sad. And I think it's one of those things where you can't look away and you almost feel bad how fascinated you are because you you have to take a step back and be like, Wow, this is really someone's life who's really going through He's it really and go- you and it's so public and that's
0: why we can't look away because it's right there in your face but you almost want to. It's true. Also, something that was very interesting about this interview that he does a lot, it's at minute <laughs> minute 21. He asks Adam directly, the interviewer like, "What do you think about my mental my mental state? Do you think I'm stable? Do you think I have schizophrenia?" And Adam's like, "I I I think you seem good. Like I haven't, I can't diagnose Diagnose you. you. And he was like, well, let me tell you what schizophrenia is. He's like, I don't hear voices. And you see him do this a lot with when he, when he goes on live with his fans or with his trolls, he will literally bring these people on his live streams and just start asking them like, why do you hate me? What's wrong with you? What do you think about my mental state? All this kind of stuff. He really is seeking, it goes back to what you were saying. He really is seeking validation from various sources. And it's so clear. Like he's looking at the guy that's interviewing him Right. Asking him, do you think I'm... Sc-? Like, he so badly wants him to say no. Do you know what I mean? Right. And you you hear this a lot. He clarifies, by the way, remember the um, hiatal hernia that I told you about from... <laughs> remember back in the day. From Nick... Um, forcing, him forcing him to, him drink. to drink alcohol. It's, I didn't know this until I listened to this, that when he talks about his eating disorder, that is what he refers... That is what he's referring to. Because apparently... The way that he describes this hiatal hernia in his words is that it mimics—his insides mimic that of a 91-year-old man. And it's very hard for him to keep on weight. And he attributes all of his weight issues and all of that to this hernia that was caused allegedly by the alcohol poisoning he suffered at the hands of Nick. Which is like—do you realize
1: how insane that is? Oh, I I definitely realize it. Yeah. Um, It's really interesting. It's just the whole— I've always been really interested. This is like so beside the point of just like young Hollywood and this happening because if you look at the Drew Barrymore story and the way she was, it's very, it's almost like really hard to believe where you're kind of sitting there like, yeah, you made the 13 year old drink. But if you look at Drew Barrymore, she was addicted to cocaine by the time she was 11. It's
0: not the most illogical thing that's ever happened. Not at all. And especially when I watched that, um, again, we were watching House of Carters, you get a better understanding of the dynamic, I think. He, You get a better understanding and you also get more confused because you're like, well, if all of this happened, how are five of them living in a house together and it's seemingly fine? It fucked me up. I'm telling you, it really did. So Rothy's has quickly grown to a most loved Gotta Have Them brand. It's no surprise that they have over a thousand nearly perfect reviews. The whole idea behind this company is basically that they're stylish, sustainable, comfortable, washable, all in one pair of shoes. We tried them. We got like the sneaker version and kind of like a nude. And the washable thing is so unbelievably clutch because you can literally throw them in the washing machine, which I don't know, it's, it's kind of a game changer. <laughs> the thing is that they are the perfect everyday shoes for life on the go. So they're stylish and comfortable and they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. They also come in like a crazy array of colors, prints, patterns, and they're available in a range of styles. So they have sneakers, loafers, points, more. Um, they also launch new colors and patterns every week and they sell out constantly. Also, they always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges, so there's no risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Also, I think this is like a very fun fact. They are made from repurposed plastic water bottles, so they've kind of diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills already, which is insane. So check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothies.com/celebs. Go to rothies.com/celebs to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash celebs today. The other things going on with Aaron currently right now are that, one, he apparently is, this is all but he says, that he's selling his house because of the Backstreet Boys fans. He's building 25 houses in his area. He's He just bought a new house that he's decorating all Versace for her for his mom when she comes out. Remember the, the yes. video? Like literally the most kind of gaudy stuff you've ever seen in your entire life. He talks about how he's also on the side, his side business is jewelry. To the point where, Julie, you did not watch this video, but I did. The No Jumper interview, there's a YouTube version, he has his two security guards sitting next to him. And he says to them, show show them what's on your wrist, show them what's on your neck. And these two giant security guys have diamond bracelets and diamond necklaces that he gave them. He's like, see, nine grand. I made that for him. He takes off his love chain. And gives it to Adam. But did you hear? I don't know if Adam cut this out of the actual podcast. He has with him a diamond... um, I forget what it's called, like a diamond checker. And it's this machine basically where you put it on the diamonds and it beefs if it's real. And he spends like a solid minute in the middle of the podcast, it's dead silent, just checking the diamond to show that it's real. Again, seeking that validation and then gives it to Adam. And Adam's like, I'm, it's a $20,000 chain. I'm not taking it. He, he gives it to him. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much happening. <sighs> yeah, it's really, it's really a lot. It's a lot. Okay, we're we're really, like, we're basically almost done. He then goes on that same day, which is September 25th, he goes on um, Logan Paul's podcast, Impulsive. Again, if you have any interest in this, these are both ones where you're going to get a lot out of them. And talks all the same stuff, truly all the same stuff. And yeah. this is when he says the thing about, look into my eyes. Right, and I see my I'm with, I'm eyes. And see if I'm with my father's eyes. It's just you can tell that there's a lot of kind of um, trauma here. And one of the interviewers asks him, when you wanted to come on here, like, what did you want to get out of this? What was your goal? And his response is the music but you can hear that it's not it's not just the music like there's so much more this this guy really just wants any platform to be able to tell his, his story truth or what he's what he's what saying is, is his story is str- you know what right. I mean and then and then most recently literally four days ago on September 28th he debuts this motherfucking face tattoo uh, guys it is Basically, the entire left side of his face, and it also comes down under his eye, like Post Malone Vibes, it says love. It's of this Greek mythology. It's Medusa. Yeah, but it's like Medusa that was inspired by Rihanna's Medusa. But I don't know if it was supposed to be
1: Rihanna, is what the tattoo artist said. And I think the tattoo artist—I I may be getting this wrong. I think the tattoo artist was able to talk him out of making it Rihanna's face, but it was definitely inspired by Rihanna. Yeah, that's what I gathered. I,
0: which— By the way, if you are going to get a tattoo on your face, it should be inspired by Rihanna. Uh Exactly. So that's the most recent thing. And now he's kind of on this—when I say most recent, I literally mean as of, like, last night. He's continuing with the—doubling down on all of the claims against everyone. Still adding the FBI in a lot of his his captions saying, like, at FBI, it's in your hands. Investigate Nick. He's a serial rapist. All this kind of stuff. He's talking about how his music is the hardest in the game right now. He is— Fully um committed to this, like in his view, like the face tat kind of just intensified his like quote realness. Like he yeah. just says, "I'm a real one." He keeps saying, "I'm a real one. I'm a real one." It's just something to note. What, what else is mm-hmm. happening? Oh, he spotted with a new girl. Oh, as of like last week, she was with him outside of Guitar Center, which he will hang out with. The paparazzi will meet him at Guitar Center, and he hangs out with them for thirty oh, minutes. Oh, he loves the paparazzi, and he puts it all in his live. He has these. This, this girl at his house as of the past again week I, he's going on live constantly fighting with these people on live to the, you ha, just if you see him go live just watch for 1 minute just so you can understand better what i'm saying what else is happening in the last like 24 hours oh lmg God. if you guys see lmg that means love money gang that's what he's referring to his like group of followers as and he's again still maintaining the sobriety minus the fact of the um weed and we're waiting now for the test to come out from he did the doctor. He,
1: he was gonna um stop smoking weed. Yeah. Because they the doctors explained to him that it was interfering with his medication and the levels in his brain. And
0: but that knows? was on the 14th and he was on when that aired, he was so hellbent on that. When he went on the podcast most recently, he, he said, said he wasn't stopping. He literally said to Adam, I'm opening a dispensary and I will carry your brand of weed in it. And he's talking he's like, I'm gonna roll this up in a backwoods, whatever. Like that was a very short-lived thing. He said he's like, I don't understand why they don't why they tell me weed can't work. And what the doctors was explaining to him was like, it's, it's we're not saying weed is bad. We're saying that weed when you have an addictive personality affects you
1: differently. And also when you're on so many medications that it's exactly. gonna mess with I don't know. There is
0: a lot here, and I think this is just gonna continue. It will. That's um there's nothing, there's literally nothing else. Like that's we just wanted to explain what's happening, because that's what's happening. And I, and again, I I reiterate, like, yeah this, this guy is going through it. He has some real serious mental health issues. And I would be lying if I said, I'm not going to continue watching because I am like when he goes live, I probably will tune in, but I truly, I'm like sending him as much love as I can. I just feel bad for the whole situation. I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a tragic, um, turnout of what could have been such a happy, vibrant, like close family with so much talent. Right. And that's,
1: that's, a huge part of the tragedy it is because when you see, you know, these families, they, they fall off. You know, you grew up with all of these, think about all of the teens that you grew up with in the pop stars and some of them go down a great path and others don't. And I think the story of the Carters is that when we were growing up, we always expected the Carters would be, the Carters are the brothers. Like we would grow up and the Carter would be the musically talented brothers who, and they, you know, whether faults of their own, faults of outside forces, faults of mental health, all of these things just didn't go down
0: that path. And it's really sad to see. Yes. And the thing with Aaron is that if you listen to any of his recent interviews or watch his lives, the thing he is... He is so hellbent on not being one of those child stars that just failed that he will repeatedly say a couple of things. Number one, I'm one of the only ones that had that fell off the face of the earth and came back stronger than ever. He says that all the time. And he also frequently references his MTV Cribs episode when he was 15. Yes. He's like, I was 15 and I had five cars. I had a G-Wagon. I had a—like all this kind of stuff. And he talks about— in his Cribs episode, he says that five minutes before MTV got there, his parents sat him down and told him that they were getting a divorce, and they were like, "Okay, but now go film the episode." Oh, I didn't know that. He, but that's what I'm saying. Like, out of nowhere, he'll randomly say things like this. That, and this just happened three days ago. That make you realize like how much he was going through at the time when we thought he had it all. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just I don't know. It, it's really just a. It's so upsetting and and simultaneously so interesting from a psychological perspective. I. Well it's
1: also I think it's it's really interesting in the whole um, terms of child stars when you when you think about it and it's it's one of the discussions that I think comes up a lot is do child stars go down the wrong path because they got fame too early or do they go down the wrong path because that's they only became child stars in the first place because something was messed up? Previously. And- Not all, obviously, when you see child stars going down two different paths, it's like there are some stars that got into the industry because they genuinely wanted to act and it was their decision and they wanted to do it. And you also see those child stars who got into the industry because their parents thought of them as cash cows and thought that they could make money. And those tend to be the ones that have more issues in life. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Carters. I think a lot of time when you look at somebody like Hillary Duff, let's say, who you know, always was just like thought of as the Disney star that nothing bad happened to, that she just did it and she was able to do it. You kind of realize that she, through interviews and the way she speaks and all these things, that she got into acting because she wanted to be an acting. When you look at the Carters and the way they talk
0: about their mom, and that's not so clearly the case. It's not so clear. Because it's not like they're denying the fact that they had an interest in it, but it's also they're not denying the fact that they were pushed into it. I mean, they literally said, Word for word that their mom used to refer to them as cash cows. cows. And
1: all of the siblings would too. And they basically kind of, you know, the thing that we joke about a lot with Kris Jenner is that she likes whatever member of the family is making the most money you at the can't time. can't see Julie, is, but
0: she did quotes. For quotes, likes.
1: quotes. We always quote her as, as people making that claim against her or even the family joking around about that. But when you look at this family, when you look at the Carters, that was the actual mentality in the family was that the mom... Was the mom is what they're claiming? I don't know about the dad, but the mom was focused on whoever was making her money at the time.
0: And by the way, she doesn't really fully deny that. Like, right? She like she. When, I don't know, I just want everybody so badly to watch these clips from the doctors. I wish there was like a way we could. I mean, I'll put them in the Patreon group, but I wish there was a way where we could like we have to figure that out. By the way, the way that we can interact directly with people that listen to the podcast that are not part of Patreon. You know what I mean? Like a yeah. email blast or something. We need to. Yeah, figure we it will. Out. We'll figure it out. We can like add links, but. one of the things that she said when I talked about earlier was like she was so badly wanted her kids to have this this child star life financially also like also and she threw herself into it but it also was killing her simultaneously like life on the road was not easy she said that she would Beyond benders, she would be so drunk the entire time they were off. And the second they'd get back, she's like, I'd get back on that bus and I thought I was doing my best. Like she got herself into this situation that then became, the stardom became too big for even her to handle. You know what I mean? Like it seems like a good idea. And then they were all kind of like, holy shit. Right. I I don't know. I, I could talk about this forever, so we should probably just stop. But do you have any final thoughts? No, I think that hopefully this was
1: clear and concise and helped people who were confused because trust me, Before I did the background research, I was beyond confused. And having the understanding of it, it started
0: to link together a little more. Yeah. Not that it's so clear now, but— Google. If you want to search things, Google his most recent doctor's episode, specifically the scene with his mom also— Google, the, uh, search the No Jumper podcast episode where he was on, and look at Impulsive. I would say in that order. And that one clip from House of Carters where yes. him and Nick fight.
1: It's on his Instagram unless he deleted I don't think it is. And I would just go to YouTube because I think that has the full version. I, yeah. I think he
0: only put the initial fight in. Watch that one for sure. That's a big one. Whew. How I'm, do you feel? I'm like obviously sweating. I think that that was great, though. I like I, I needed to get that out. I needed to tell someone. Yeah, I feel very similarly. <laughs> right? It's, I told yeah. you, it's it's like that's a lot. Again, just please, 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 have compassion for this kid. Like, no, I, I, it's so upsetting to me the whole thing. But um, okay, we will see you guys next week for our Kardashian bonus show, and which Sophie is on vacation with them. Holy shit! And then our regular episode. And don't forget to leave five stars and a nice review if you feel so generous, because it really helps us. Okay, guys, bye. This is baby making simplified. Find free fertility on Amazon, Target and select CVS near you.